0: Good morning. What a feeling it is to be able to gather together on on this day, to be able to offer up songs to our God, to offer up prayers to Him. Not as routine, not because that's just what we do on Sundays, but because we have a genuine desire to come before Him and and, and to show our gratitude and our thankfulness and our love towards our God for all that, that He has done for us. There is a misconception that, that is making its way through the thoughts of many in this day and age. In this age where, where postmodern thinking is as pre- prevalent as it is, there is a thought concerning the book that I hope we all hold in our hands right, right now that has made its way through the thoughts and through the hearts uh, of many. And that is that the Bible is nothing but this old, Outdated book that holds no real relevance to modern society. That, that nothing this old could possibly mean anything to anyone living in the, in the, in the 21st century. That the men that, that wrote this book only wrote things that applied to themselves, applied to their days, and applied to their cultures. And that those who try to use this book, this Bible, as means for an authority for one's life are severely misguided and misinformed. And for those who do hold this book to be an authoritative guide for for your life, that accusation is personal. obviously, uh you and I would would contend that we are not wasting our time by by following this this book even given its age, but uh, we would contend that not because of our own sentiments but because of what this old book has to say for itself, because friends. The Bible claims to not only have the answers for, for how to be holy and how to get to heaven, but it also has the answers for everyday living. Let me say that again. The Bible holds the answers for everyday living. It has the answers for, for, for the common problems that, that we as people face. The Christian is not exempt through uh, some of the struggles that the rest of of humanity uh, uh, faces. God, knowing that, saw fit to include messages about about how to deal with our problems and our struggles. Let's get some examples here. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. Obviously, if we're going to the early portion of the book of Proverbs, we are turning to the words of King Solomon. The man who was touted as being the wisest of his day, perhaps the wisest man to live outside of Christ. And a familiar verse that you may know comes from chapter 4. Look at verse 23. He says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. So keep your heart with with all diligence, which literally means to confine your heart, to, to guard it. Why guard your heart? Because as he said, out of it spring the issues of life. The heart is the source of of the things in this life that we deal with. It is where the emotions come from. You probably know this, but whenever the Bible speaks of the heart, it's not speaking of of the literal beating heart, but it's speaking of your mind. It speaks of you and who you are. All right, so, so guard your heart. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. Okay, how do you do that? How do you guard or keep your heart? Back up a little bit. Look at the surrounding verses. Look at chapter 4, verses 20 through 22. He says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them, my words, depart from your eyes. Keep them, my sayings, in the midst of where? Your heart. For they, again, my words, are our life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. And then it is then that he says, So keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. It is by inclining your your ear and your heart to the wisdom of God. And that is how you keep or or guard your heart. You think of the psalmist in Psalm 119 and all the things that he said about the the word or or the law of God. But he also said a whole lot about the heart as well. In Psalm 119 verse 2 he says blessed are those who keep his God's testimonies. Who seek him with the whole heart one hundred nineteen verse ten with my whole heart I've sought you, O oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Verse eleven, your word I have hidden where in my heart that I may not sin against you. We mentioned a couple of months ago, Second Peter one verse three, where Peter tells the brethren that God had given them all things that pertain to what? Number one, life and godliness. Does the Bible tell us how to be God-like individuals? Absolutely it does. But it's not just a manual or a handbook for how to please God. First off, it tells a story. It tells us how God sought to to bring us back from from sin to himself. But along the way, it tells us also how to live life. Okay, so I hope we can all agree that that the Bible has the answers for everyday living. In fact, it also has warnings for turning inward, for for turning to self-help. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 10, 23, O Lord, O Yahweh, I know that the way of man is not in himself, it is not man in whom walks to direct his own steps. So we can't do it alone, we need God's word, we need the Bible to solve the issues of life. And you think about what, what some of the problems of everyday living are that, that many of us deal with, and there is one that, that comes to my mind that we all deal with to some degree, and that is uh, the problem of anxiety, the problem of, of, of anxiety. Anxiety, as I said, is something that, that we all t- to some extent deal with, and it may be something that just happens or that, that you feel every once in a while. For others, it's an everyday struggle to fight. What what is the difference in, in, in worry and anxiety? That uh, they're very similar to some degree; that they, they overlap. Worry is, is simply that that uneasiness you feel in your mind over a certain thing. However, worry can apply to things that are in your control. Anxiety, on the other hand, can be defined as a fear of future loss over which we have no control. A fear of losing something which we have no control over. And we're going to see that in Matthew chapter 6, if you would be turning there. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Jesus here is in the middle of of what we would call uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And he spends to us nine verses talking about uh, the topic of of anxiety. Showing that this is something that really people have, have always struggled with to some degree. So let's, uh, let's break down this, this, this text, to exactly what he says about this topic and, and what we can learn from the master's words on anxiety. Number one, number one is that anxiety is useless, verses 25 through 27. Read with me if you would. He says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on. It is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, and for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? All right. So, so he makes the argument that anxiety is useless. But, but first he, he sets the tone for the whole section by saying simply, do not worry about your life. Again, don't worry about those things that are out of your control. For many in his audience, perhaps they weren't sure where their next meal was going to come from. Maybe they were concerned that the clothes on their back weren't going to last a whole lot longer. And and, and those things, for the most part, were out of their control. He's going to talk about provision more uh, in in a bit. So how does he make the argument that anxiety is useless? He does so by posing rhetorical questions. He, he tells them to consider that the birds of the air and the fact that, that our heavenly father provides for them. And he asks the question, are you not of more value than they? Again, he, 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 he's, he's dealing with, with the rhetorical question, a, a rhetorical question being uh, a question with the answer implied in the asking. The birds of the air and their being provided for should have been a great sense of comfort. Why? Because God had already made it abundantly clear that when He told mankind that they were superior to animal life. Genesis 1 26, God said, Let us make man in our own image, according to our, our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the creeping thing that, uh, that creeps on the earth. Genesis 9 verse 2 He would again say to Noah, And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, and all the things that that move on the earth and all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hands. So since mankind is obviously superior to animal life, if the birds of the air are are so well provided for, the logical implication is that God cares for his people much more than than the birds, and so he's going to take care of them uh, much more. David would say in Psalm 37, 25, I've been young, I've been old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging for bread. God's people will not go not taken care of. That's, uh, or the how of God's provision is left somewhat vague, but, but what's the main reason or, or the main uh, how that, that God's going to take care of his people? I believe it's through his people. That, that with their familial blood ties, through the, body, uh, the blood of Christ, He will take care of those in his fold who need a bit more help through his people. So he says that it is useless to worry about or to be anxious over what you eat. Then he says that it is useless to to fret, to worry, or to be anxious over your appearance. He says, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Will worrying make you grow any taller? I would bet there are some in the audience here who who had aspirations of being a bit taller than they turned out to be. Um, But how much has wishing to be taller helped? How many inches has that helped you to grow? Again, these are things that are are totally and utterly out of our control. And and that's why it's useless. It it doesn't matter how much you think about it, how much you fret over it, how much you feel anxious about something. If something is out of your control, it is out of your control. So easier said than done, but, but why be anxious, seeing that it is useless? Number two, number two, he says that anxiety is Ill- illogical, verses 28 through 30. He says, so why do, do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O, o you of little faith? All right, so it, it sounds kind of harsh, but the argument that Jesus is making is that anxiety is illogical. It's kind of the same argument that he made in 25 and 27, but with a little bit different emphasis in, in my mind. He talks about, or he talked about the birds already. Now he talks about plant life. He talks about the, the grass. He's continuing to talk about not worrying about your appearance, specifically uh, what your clothing, what you're going to put on. And the argument that he makes is strictly a logical argument. It basically goes like this. He says, number one, God clothes the lilies of the field. Number two, you mean more to God than the lilies of the field do. Therefore, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? If the anxious really considered God's provision in relation to to, to nature and his provision in relation to them, then their minds should be put to ease by that thought. If they step back in and consider the situation and came out with a different conclusion, other than that that, that God's not going to take care of them, or if they, they come to that conclusion, then that means that they had a severe misconception of who God is, to think that he would clothe the lilies of the field but not take care of them. And I think we'd all agree with this, but what the problem is, in the moment, sometimes it's hard to think logically. In the heat of anxiety, sometimes it's hard to, to work things through rationally, to, to not let pure emotions cloud your judgment. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be judgmental, I'm not, I'm not trying to belittle anyone, we've all got our different problems to deal with, but for some, it's really hard to take a step back from a situation and to rationally think through it, and again... Easier said than done, but is that not what, what Jesus is really saying to do here? Is not the example that he's leaving here, is, is to, it would be best to think through a situation? And we've broken it down this way, but really all six verses up to this point i have said this. Anxiety is useless, therefore what, what would be the point of putting yourself through that? What, what rationale is there for, for worrying about something of which we have no control over? Obviously there, there would be none. If you think about it, anxiety can go a long way to driving you to, to go insane. You may uh, know Einstein's definition of insanity. He said that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Maybe not literal insanity, but, but it can for sure take, some, uh, take a toll on our minds. Because anxiety is, again, out of your control. You cannot do anything to affect the result. But we will still do it over and over again, seemingly with the thought that, that, that we're doing any sort of good when we do that. But in reality, it, it, it doesn't. But at the last part of this section, it is a truth that, that may hurt. What did Jesus call those who, who constantly practice anxiety? Oh, you of little faith. Anxiety at its core is a failure to trust in God. These aren't my words, these are his words. And, and they may seem somewhat harsh, but if you think about it, it's true. If you're worrying about things that are out of your control, you may not think about it like this, but in some sense you're, you're saying that, that maybe God doesn't have, have it in his control either. You, you don't, as we sing sometimes, trust that he is the one who holds tomorrow whenever we don't know what tomorrow holds. So easier said than done, but, but I believe it would be wise to recognize That anxiety at its core is illogical. Number three, and finally this morning, he says anxiety is for others. Verses 31 through 34. He says, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own things sufficient for the day is its own trouble so he says not to worry about, about what you're going to eat what you're going to drink he's already talked about this to, to some degree some of these people may be wondering where the next meal is or, or where their, their clothing's going to come from but he assures them like David said that the righteous will not be for, forsaken they're not going to have to stoop down to the level of having to beg for bread all right so the reason that he that he gives here is because Uh, to not 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 worry to not have anxieties because this is something that the gentiles would do and they're obviously living in a time with with a major division between jew and gentile the jews were still on on some level god's chosen people the people who he promised abraham would be as numerous as the stars in the the sky the sea or sand on the seashore so that, that, that's the difference in the, in the Gentiles. Did he not care about them? Absolutely not. But the, the, the difference was he had promised his plan would go through Israel, that he, they would go through the Jews for his scheme of redemption. So to them, the others were the Gentiles. But if we're going to make any, any application to ourselves, who would be the others? It would be those who are outside of the body of Christ, those who are outside of, of the household of faith. The point is this, if you recognize God as your father, if you follow him and his word, if you truly trust in him, then anxiety is not for you. Anxiety is not for you. Life might, might, might be anxious for those who don't know the living God. Yes, for them there is uncertainty in tomorrow. They, they don't have the same hope of eternal life that, that we do, but they also don't have something bigger than themselves to commit to in this life. What's the thing in this life that the Christian could commit, them, uh, commit their lives to that are bigger, bigger than them? What did he say? Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. What does that actually mean though? Look back at the early parts of chapter 6 when Jesus told them in what manner to pray. Look at chapter 6 and verse 10. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Seeking first the kingdom is synonymous with with seeking for uh, the will of God to be done. This is ultimately how you make anxiety disappear. You, you worry about the things pertaining to, to God and, and his kingdom and, and the common worry, worries of your life. The mundane things in your life will soon fade away. And I love the closing verse that he speaks of, of, the anxiety in verse 34, where he says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow worry about its own thing. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You don't worry about tomorrow because you ha- still have today. You've got enough to deal with today to start worrying about tomorrow. Again, who is the one who holds tomorrow? Who is the one who has all things under his control? That's God alone. Who doesn't have tomorrow under control? That's us. Who are the ones that still worry about tomorrow more than anybody? That's still us. But, but trust in the one who has control. Leave it up to him and our jobs will get much easier. So three things that Jesus says about it. anxiety. He says it's useless. It's useless that it's illogical, and that it is not for you. Now, we've already seen a couple of ways of how to deal with anxiety. We recognize that that is useless and that there's no real rationale behind it. And instead of being anxious, we seek first God's kingdom. We seek first his will. There is also another way that, that scripture tells us how to deal with anxiety. And you probably know it, and that's through the avenue of prayer. We heard it in our reading earlier, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which suppresses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Peter would say in 1 Peter 5 and verse 7, casting all your your care uh, upon him for he cares for you. Some translations say casting all of your anxieties upon him for he cares for you. So you let your requests be made known to God in order to dispel anxiety and feel the indescribable peace that comes from God. You you, you cast all your your cares upon him because as our father, there is not a thing that uh, and there's not a care that you and I have that he doesn't care about. Do we know all the details, all the ins and outs about how prayer works? No, we don't. Do we still trust that prayer works and we can say yes, but... Really, that's shown in in, in our actions. Do we claim to trust in God or or do we show it? Do, Do we claim to trust in him by believing that that prayer works? Or do we actually let our requests be made known to him? Do we actually cast all of our cares upon him? The peace of God is offered to all this morning. If you aren't of the body of Christ, if you haven't submitted to his word and his will by believing in him and obeying his plan of salvation... You gain the indescribable peace of God by being baptized in the name of his son and being added to his church. If you've already done that, the peace of God is offered by casting all of your anxieties on him. We can also help too. God is ultimately the one who you need to be uh, talking to to dispel your anxiety. But as his people, we, we can help some too. If you need someone to talk to this this morning, if you have questions this morning, have any need, please come now as we stand and as we sit.